It's Sunday, January 30th, and I'm Eric Sorensen. You're listening to The West Block. This week on The West Block, protesters bring their fight against COVID restrictions to Ottawa. Truck convoys from across the country converge on Parliament Hill. The truckers and their supporters want vaccine mandates lifted. We'll speak to Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra about the protests and concerns about what's fueling the movement behind them. This is a struggle between democracy and authoritarianism. Canada steps up its support for Ukraine, promising military aid, but not weapons. We'll get reaction from the former Ukrainian ambassador to Canada. The Conservative Party looks to the future. There's a lot I had to learn, and there's a lot that went well. There's things that didn't. We'll talk to former MP James Cumming about his report into the election results and what that could mean for party leader Aaron O'Toole. It's Sunday, January 30th, and this is the West Block. Mercedes Stevenson is away today, and you can probably hear it on the streets below. It has been a weekend like few others on Parliament Hill. And joining us to talk about this extraordinary weekend in the nation's capital is Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra. Minister, as we speak, it is late on the Saturday afternoon. The protests are in full swing. And from what we are seeing and also what we're hearing behind me right now, it's obviously about more than vaccine mandates at the border. But on that issue, given what you're seeing out there, are you reconsidering at all to drop those mandates at the border? Uh, Eric, thank you for the opportunity, and it's good to be back with you on the West Block. Um, look, our government has been consistent from day one. Um, the science has been clear. Vaccines are our best tool out of this pandemic, and our government has committed to Canadians from the beginning to do everything we can to protect their health and safety and also our economy. And we've been rolling out the vaccine requirement throughout critical sectors of our economy. And we started with the federal government, uh, where now we're up to 99% uh, of federal government workers are fully vaccinated. We then went on to implement it in the transportation sector, but we gave truckers more time uh, to get vaccinated. And we worked with stakeholders, including the Canadian Trucking Alliance. And when we felt we reached a critical mass, where now almost 90% of truck drivers are fully vaccinated, we felt it was the right time to, uh, to require vaccination so we can encourage the remaining uh, truckers to get vaccinated and to ensure that we maintain resilience in critical sectors of our industry, including supply chains. Uh, have you met with the truckers or would you plan to meet with them? Uh, Eric, I've been uh, meeting with uh, various organizations, including representatives of, uh, of truckers uh, uh, for the last while. On uh, Monday, I will be hosting a national summit on supply chains that will include representatives uh, from uh, truckers and the Canadian Trucking Alliances. So I could tell you that my job requires me to meet with all voices, to hear uh, of various perspectives, including criticism, and that will continue uh, something that I'm committed to. There are many groups here, and when the Prime Minister of the country moves from his residence on a weekend like this, it raises questions about security. Are there security concerns? Uh, Eric, uh, you know, I have full confidence in our law enforcement agencies who are doing a tremendous job. 
um, the prime minister, as we all know, is now in self-isolation because one of his kids uh, have tested positive, has tested positive for COVID. Uh, so uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, uh, you know, the, our law enforcement agencies are going to do what they need to do. Uh, but, uh, but the prime minister continues to be in self-isolation. You know, things are happening here just on the fly. And I know you're the transport minister, but I wanted to ask you about the group that has produced this manifesto to replace the government. Millions of dollars has been raised through GoFundMe. Is there anything you can tell us about the group or about this money, all this money? Like, you know, who are they being funded by? Is it something that's coming from other governments trying to sow dissent here? There are a lot of people who are frustrated uh, because of COVID and the lengths that COVID has gone on and the public health measures that we all have to endure. I'm one of those people who, uh, who's frustrated. Uh, um, and so I, I have, I'm very sympathetic to those who uh, are hoping to see COVID ends as quickly as possible, who are frustrated with these restrictions. Unfortunately, there are many elements within this protest uh, movement that really carries extreme views. Uh, at, you know, some of it could be as benign as, as they want to overthrow the government, and some of it is talks about violence and hate. Uh, it, it, those are troubling uh, uh, claims. Those are troubling demands, and I think they're offside with most Canadians. Uh, so, uh, you know, in Canada, we have the right to protest, and I hope this protest continues to be peaceful and civil. Uh, but, you know, some of those views held by the organizers are extremely troubling and alarming for most Canadians. The, uh, we heard the prime minister say that the, 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 some, some in the protests are a small fringe minority. There are some protesters here who think he means them. But is that the right language to use if you're trying to turn down the temperature? Uh, as I said, uh, Eric, uh, my job, our government's job is to listen to everyone and to, uh, to uh, build bridges and to hear their point of views, even the ones who uh, we disagree with. And our job as a government is to do everything we can to manage this pandemic, to expedite its, its ending, its, uh, its closure and its coming to an end. Uh, and even for those who disagree with us, that's our duty towards them, to do everything we can to protect their health and safety, to protect their jobs, to protect our economy. And that's what we will continue to do. They, you know, there are people here who don't want to have their message hijacked and the basic message that they may represent a larger percentage than some of the narrow interests here, which is we're really frustrated. What can you say to them? Seeing this kind of frustration on the streets, what can you say to them to allay that frustration? I say I share their frustration. I say our prime minister shares their frustration. Um, it is, it's normal. It's natural. This uh, pandemic has caused a lot of uh, disruptions. Canadians have sacrificed a lot. And we share uh, the objective of coming out of this pandemic as quickly as possible. And that's hence why we're following public health advice to do everything we can to accelerate the end of this pandemic. And part of those tools that we have today is vaccination. So I bring it back to our policies, Eric. It's this is precisely why we think vaccination is our best tool. And the sooner uh, we can end this pandemic, the sooner we can get back to normal. So these, these public health measures are temporary and we need everybody to follow public health and get vaccinated. And the sooner we do this, the sooner we can end the pandemic. And with this demonstration, 
Could it turn into an occupation? And then what does the government and the police, for that matter, do? You have the houses coming back on Monday. Um, how are you going to how are you going to deal with people if they don't intend to leave? I have uh, full confidence in our uh, law enforcement agencies, the Ottawa Police Service, the RCMP, uh, the Parliamentary Protective Service. They're all uh, dealing with uh, the pro with protesters with extreme professionalism uh, and seriousness. So, uh, you know, I have confidence in them. Um, so I will leave the operations of security to, the, to them. Uh, I will continue to be focused on doing whatever I can uh, to protect the health and safety of Canadians, but also to protect our economy. Minister, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Eric. Ottawa has announced more measures to help Ukraine against the threat of a Russian invasion. More troops will be sent as part of the training mission, Operation Unifier, and the mission will be extended for another three years. The government will also send military aid, but not weapons, unlike other allies such as Britain and the United States. Here's what Oleksiy Danilov, the Secretary of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council, told Global's Crystal Gomansing when she asked what was needed. It's uh, defense uh, weapons. Defense weapons. And once more, uh, defense weapons. Joining us now from Kyiv is former Ukrainian ambassador to Canada, Andriy Shevchenko. Mr. Shevchenko, thank you for joining us. The uh, request was blunt, weapons, weapons, weapons. First of all, what kind of weapons does Ukraine want from Canada? Well, I'll start saying that uh, we are very grateful to Canada for supporting us and starting from 2014 canada has uh, been with us and it's uh, much appreciated here and when it comes to the recent announcement by the canadian government we do have some mixed feelings here first of course we are uh, we warmly welcome the expansion and extension of operation unifier it's an extraordinary uh, joint training uh, exercise uh, but we are disappointed that uh, there are no weapons and uh, we hoped to get both. And uh, I think uh, we still have to continue conversation with the Canadian government about this. And what kind of weapons would you like? The weapons that would be good signal of deterrence towards Russia. It's uh, next generation anti-armor uh, weapons and they're capable of stopping armed vehicles and tanks uh, up to 800 hundred meters. So we do hope that Canada and our other friends will follow the suit and will follow the US and the UK. Our prime minister hasn't said specifically why he wouldn't send firearms. It may be seen as an attempt to de-escalate. Do you think that it's going to escalate? Do you think Russia, an attack is imminent? We believe that we can avoid this catastrophic loss of lives if we do the right thing. And when I say we, that means not just Ukraine, uh, it means all nations of the free world which are concerned about the global, global security. And when it comes to the weapons, it is one of the most powerful signals of deterrence towards Russia. And we do need them now, not when the aggression escalates further. Putin, Kremlin, his generals and the Russian soldiers have clearly have to clearly realize the consequences of uh, their moves. Some will say that uh, weapons from Canada, even even a, a lot, would not be significant enough to deter Russia. Is are sanctions the way to go? Is diplomacy the way to go? Like what can work short of military engagement? Well, all 
all of those tracks are uh, necessary and might be helpful. But again, when it comes to the weapons, it's not just about the quantity, but it's also about uh, about the signal that Canada is sending here to our part of the world. But when it comes to other ways to influence the situation, to impact the situation, uh, Operation Unifier and its extension is a very strong signal, and I do not want to underestimate its importance. The presence of Canadian soldiers, of Canadian officers here is very important, and more than 30,000 of Ukrainian men and women in uniform have been through this Canadian training. It has already been helping us to save lives of our uh, our servicemen and service women, and also sanctions. It is a very powerful way to influence the Russian decisions, and we strongly encourage Canada to work with our other allies and, in solidarity, introduce more sanctions on Russia. Vladimir Putin is seeing the response from NATO and from the rest of the world. Do you think he's having second thoughts? I think he does, and uh, I think what we are witnessing is, uh, in many senses, blackmail. He's blackmailing the West and the free world. And uh, that means we should follow the situation very closely with our eyes open. But again, uh, also, it seems to be more sort of a psychological warfare. As of the moment, it can turn very physical, very brutal and militarily catastrophic in no time. And it's, it's extremely dangerous. And of course, it's something of existential threat for, for my country. Ukraine cannot uh, uncouple itself from Russia in terms of its geography, its history. Um, is there anything you can do at this point that would reassure Russia? I mean, perhaps, you know, like, uh, like backing off of uh, insisting on being in NATO. Sooner or later, Russia will have to realize that it has to leave its neighbors alone and it has to respect every nation's right to choose its own destiny. And the sooner it happens, the better it's going to be for Russia. We understand that Putin might be very scared of the democratic choice that Ukraine has made. Because if Ukraine succeeds, he's going to have a very difficult time explaining to his own people why the Russians cannot have free speech and democracy at home. But look, it's 21st century, and the sooner Putin, Kremlin, and the Russians understand the reality, the better is going to be for them. In 2013, GDP in Russia was 16,000 US dollars per capita. Now it's 10,000 US dollars per capita, 40% less. That is just one of the many results of this war which Russia started against Ukraine. Mr. Shevchenko, I can only imagine what uh, it must be like for, for people in Ukraine at this moment. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Myself as leader, I'm responsible for the loss. And I want to make sure that we gain the confidence of more Canadians. So I will make changes myself to our team, to our strategy, and within our party. That's Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole reacting to a new report on his party's disappointing results in the last election. The author of that report is former MP James Cumming. He joins us now from Edmonton. Mr. Cumming, thank you for joining us. You know, I thought about the last election. I watched it very closely. The Liberals were vulnerable, and uh, yet your party did not really improve electorally at all. In fact, you lost your seat in Edmonton. Was 2021 an opportunity lost? Well, uh, thank you for having me on your show, and, um, and it's great to be able to talk about the report that we've put together 
Um, we had well over 400 people who weighed in on the report to be able to, you know, formulate what went right and what went wrong uh, and make some recommendations. So, you know, I developed a very comprehensive report uh, to determine, you know, what's got to change. How do we have to position ourselves better? Uh, if anybody understands it, it's me. I've been in three elections and I've won one and lost two. Uh, so clearly I understand what it's like to be a candidate. I understand what it's like to have volunteers and campaign managers who all want to win. Um, so uh, I hope that the recommendations and some of the things that we put forward will better position uh, us to win and be able to support all those people that work so bloody hard to uh, try and get elected. The, the review is confidential. Uh, there are reports that suggested Mr. O'Toole was overcoached. Um, how would you say he might have been overmanaged if he was? You know, towards the end of the campaign, uh, there is a belief that he was overcoached, that he wasn't himself, uh, that um, he wasn't presenting uh, the way that people have gotten to know him. And, I, and what I found on the campaign is that people at the start would say don't really know him. Uh, but then towards the end saying, you know what, I'm starting to get to know uh, this guy and I, and I like him. Um, and that person that was on the front end of the campaign, the belief was saw less of it towards the tail end of the campaign. And I know he's spoken about that and spoken about areas that he's got to improve. What does he have to do differently, do you think? Uh, what kind of different leader must he be? Well, I think any time that you lead, uh, quality of a good leader is that you have to, you know, listen to what people around you. And and that's why this report is quite powerful. Over 400 people weighed in and made suggestions on, on how he could better present himself, how he can, you know, be himself, be authentic, trust his instincts, and and some of those things that leaders are always faced with. You know, politics is a tough game. It's a rough game. Uh, but, you know, I think that uh, I'm impressed to hear that uh, he wants to improve and see how he can do better and deliver better. There was criticism of him uh, putting the report aside that uh, that he flip-flopped. And in that sense, the party flip-flopped, uh, whether it was guns or carbon tax. Changing positions midstream, is that a fair criticism? Well, I think political campaigns are different. They have ebbs and flows and, uh, you know, there's issues that come up uh, as you go along. This was an incredibly uh, divisive campaign. Uh, you know, the country, uh, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, we had uh, added lockdowns. There was just a lot going on that made it a, a very, very difficult campaign for all parties. Um, and but I but I do think that uh, Canadians want to hear from conservatives and from the Conservative Party on very specifics about what they stand for and be uh, decisive on what they uh, stand for and why it will be impactful for Canadians and why why people's lives will be better with a, a government under uh, Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives and I and I think that's an area for sure that people want to hear about. And they want to see a cohesive party that they can support. And there is infighting in the party. Are you worried about that? Well, there's no I in a team. You know, I, I think every time I've been involved with teams is that, you know, you can have disputes. Um, I, I think dissenting opinion is is healthy, that it helps inform decisions. But the end, at the end of the day, you have to come together and be able to come up with uh, positions that you can all uh, agree on. 
you know, my, you know, my personal opinion is that I've never seen the country so divided. I'm, you know, I'm saddened by it. Uh, but there's lots that we can agree on. And I think within the Conservative movement and the Conservative Party, there's plenty that we can agree on. And I think there's plenty that Canadians can agree on as well. And I, and I think those are the things we have to focus on within the party. What are the things that bring us together versus what are the things that divide us? And I think that's the expectation of people both uh, for this party and, and, quite frankly, that's what Canadians want to see as well. But does that mean your party also has to reach out to Canadians in a bigger way? Because right now it feels like there's a narrower message. Your appeal, as you can see from the vote results, was in Western Canada. Uh, is there more to be done to modernize the views of the party? Well, I, I think that it's fair comment that we have to reach out to more voters. We didn't win the election. We won the popular vote, but we certainly didn't win the seat count. So I think it's fair to say that we have to expand our voter universe. Now, that said, you know, I think a lot of people don't necessarily line up with a party. They they don't identify themselves. They don't buy memberships. They're just looking for good balance, good quality uh, government for like responsible decisions. They're, they're looking for some hope and some promise that their lives will get better and that um, and that uh, party will reflect that. So. You know, there has to be a broader outreach. Uh, the party has to expand its reach and uh, and hopefully can do so. And that will uh, set us up well for success in a future election. All right, Mr. Cumming, thank you. My pleasure. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. For the West Block, I'm Eric Sorensen.